All right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am just so overwhelmed to be with you right now. Um, back after a few months and just celebrating what it means to be community in the ways that we know how. Uh, as Cameron said, we are um, piecing together uh, with the technology we have, which is such a gift, uh, so that we can come to you live this morning despite not being able to be on the lawn. And I'm just really overwhelmed to be here as I shared in comments. Um, but I would like to start us off with a scripture reading. So the scripture today is from Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Um, uh, do we have a slide to throw up? Yes. All right. Here we go. Uh, community, let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 2. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. With the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The two of them were naked, the man and his wife, but they weren't embarrassed. Genesis chapter 3. Then they both saw clearly and knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. During that day's cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The man replied, I heard your sound in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you you were naked? The word of God for the people of God. So y'all, I am back and I'm so excited to be back with you. As Cameron mentioned, Cameron and I had a baby on July 9th. Can we throw a little picture, shameless plug of our baby on the screen? No, we can't. Oh, just kidding. You are going to have to follow my Instagram for that one. <laughs> I have, oh, we got it. Uh, I have absolutely become one of those parents that is obsessed with their child. Uh, I sing Mariah Carey's Obsessed to my baby all the time, trying to make her think she's the one obsessed with me. But uh, let's be real, it's me. And also, like, which direction am I? I don't, this way? Yeah. Who wouldn't be obsessed with that baby? <laughs> Lots of people, it's true. Uh, but I am. And it's been so incredible to be uh, able to take leave and to uh, just be with her as she is born into this world. I've been telling her all about you guys, actually, and I'm so excited to raise with Cameron this baby who's going to grow up in Jesus-rooted, justice-centered, radically inclusive community. I keep telling her about all the people who are prepared to love her, about the world that we're creating, about the community that's blossoming here, and I feel really, really honored to be able to introduce her to that space and to this world. And so as we enter back into community, Cameron and I, I wanted to take this time to share with you all some of the reflections that have come up over the last 12 weeks as I've spent these long, late nights <laughs> up with Micah. 
And so we have this new series that we're calling Naked As We Came about the spiritual lessons we can glean from those first few weeks of life. What do we know about humanity from the way that God brings us into this world? And, you know, cards on the table, there's a little bit of an element of this just being a series uh, by a new parent who's still obsessed with their baby who wants to talk about it constantly. But also, I do think that there is something here for us because at Zao, we want to truly live our lives. That's what the word Zao means, to be among the living. And so as we seek to be among the living, I think that there are things that we can learn from the ways that God brings us among the living for the first time. How does God equip us when we first arrive in this life? How do we begin to live in those moments that we join among the living? And what does this experience of new humanity have to say to the rest of us about how to find God and true life with one another? And so in the next weeks, we will be taking some lessons from the littlest among us, called by God into new life ourselves from the ones just born, just arrived, earthside. But I can't go into this without discussing a phrase that may be in the back of a lot of your minds, born again. Now, that is a really complex, uh, complex and problematic phrase for a lot of us. And I would love to hear from folks in comments the ways that you have grappled with or been wounded by the phrase born again. In our culture, our modern American Christian culture, that phrase born again has become really politically loaded. Um, it has been aligned with a type of Christianity that is much more American than biblical, in my opinion. And it's not always the case, right? There are lots of people who are born again in ways that are are powerful and scriptural, but there is certainly a strain of American Christianity that uses that phrase, born again, in really hurtful and harmful ways. And so I want to name that because I know there are people in our community who have been harmed by the call to be born again. If we can go to the roots of that phrase, we see that it's not an invention of modern American Christianity but actually comes straight from scripture, and it means something very different. The original phrase comes from Jesus' exchange with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. There was a Pharisee, and he was a Jewish leader, and he goes and he asks Jesus, Rabbi, you have come from God. And no one could do the amazing things that you're doing unless God is with them. And basically says, what's the deal? Jesus says, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. And so we have this phrase, born anew, in the Common English Bible. Jesus says that's necessary in order to see the kingdom. Now, in our, in our modern context, being born again usually means some sort of intellectual assent to the idea that you are a sinner, that your only redemption is Jesus. It means saying a certain specific set of words in prayer and then getting baptized and getting your golden ticket to heaven. 
But that doesn't seem to fit with what's going on here at all or with God's natural processes around birth and life. You see, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is asking about these beautiful, miraculous events, saying, how is it possible God is with you in a way that is so beyond my comprehension? How do I comprehend? And Jesus says, be born anew. So what does that mean to Jesus? And why do we need to be born anew? Jesus says it is so that we can see the kingdom. Now the kingdom is not this uh, pearly gates on a cloud, creepy babies with wings kind of situation that we have made heaven into. The kingdom is the core of Jesus' teaching. The kingdom is heaven on earth. The kingdom is the way that all of God's creation comes together in a moment to bring liberation and freedom and joy and true and eternal life to all things and all creation. And so how do we see that? How do we catch God's vision for the world? How do we be a part of what Jesus is doing to renew all of of all beings, all of our hearts, all of our community? Well, there's a lot to it, and that's actually all of Jesus' teaching. But the core is about love, loving God, loving neighbor. Being born anew into that life means something wholly different than saying the right words or following the right church. It means having a new orientation to the world. Jesus elaborates in another story from Matthew 18. There, he's speaking with people, and a disciple asks, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Basically, when all of this comes to being, when you are in charge, when everything is made right, who's like right there up at the top, though? Because human beings are so used to this stratified world where someone's got to be better than other people, right? So they're like, how do I, you know, edge up to that top spot? I got, I got in early. I, uh, I want to make sure that I have my different version of a golden ticket, right? And Jesus calls over a little kid and says to the disciples, I assure you, there's that phrase again, I assure you, sometimes translated as truly I tell you, which feels very religious, but I assure you seems like it has a little bit of a neck snap to it to me. That if you don't turn your lives around <laughs> and become like this little child, you will definitely not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Again, we have to ask, what exactly does Jesus mean by the kingdom? And what does it mean to become like this little child? Because somehow, becoming like this little child and being born anew are similar, are that same pathway into the kingdom, into understanding what God is up to in this world. I think it's notable that he says that you have to turn your lives around because the next lines he goes on to talk about part of the beauty of children is their humility. And this disciple has not been particularly humble asking how he can get that top spot in the new order. But being made newly like a child is something that goes really counter to our culture. 
In our culture, we really like to grow up fast. We like things that make us feel adult and big and important. Children often get relegated to the sides or to the background or told that they need to act more like adults. But here comes Jesus saying, you need to be born again like a little baby. You need to be like this small child. You need to catch the vision of what I'm doing in the world, and you're not going to do it acting all big and puffed up and like you're going to be at the right hand. Jesus wants us to come back to the beginning. And what did Jesus do to bring that vision into the world? He came in as a little baby. And this is one of the unique things about the story of God in the world in the Christian tradition. There are not a lot of gods who will come down as an infant. And when I see so many things lighting up across the scriptures about what it means to be born, to be born an infant, to come uh, and be with humanity as a vulnerable little baby, when Jesus says you have to be like a little child, it starts to seem like this is a really really important theme. And for me, I've got to start at this important theme, where Jesus starts, where God starts in the beginning of all creation, the stories we have about God creating humanity. Because even if we understand those stories to be stories that tell truths, not in a literal way, they tell truths, and they are there to teach us So, in Genesis, what are we taught about the beginnings of humanity? Well, God creates humanity. In Genesis 2, that's the messier story where God is kind of experimenting. God creates the first human, wants the first human to have a helper, have a friend, have a partner, tries all kind of animals, and is like, you know what? No, you you need someone who is just like you. And out of that creates the first couple. But in that good creation, in that creation designed by God, these two are naked. They are naked and totally chill about it. And they are in their garden and they are hanging out. And it is not until sin enters the world that suddenly they look down at themselves and are ashamed. This is the introduction of shame into the world. And it's a really important Note, I think, that shame doesn't exist in the world before sin. You see, we like to, in religious spaces, sometimes shame one another. There are a lot of church traditions that will say, oh, you just need to act right, and the only way you're going to act right is if you feel the shame of your debased self. And so I will remind you, we will remind each other, we will lash ourselves on the back and feel shame about who we are so that we can coerce ourselves into acting right, which is how we get in good with God. But I think that that was a real wrong turn that we made. I think that's a real brokenness of the church. And I think it's caused us a lot of harm. And we see that in that first story of these first human beings. That when God made them as God made them, with their unique fleshy bodies, with their various different anatomies, with their uh, vulnerable selves, that God didn't clothe them and God didn't shame them. It wasn't until sin and evil came into the world that they felt shame and they immediately tried to cover themselves. 
They immediately tried to be something other than who they were. They immediately tried to cover what God had made and pretend that it was something else. They hid from God. And when God figured out what was going on, the first thing she said to them was, who told you you were naked? When Micah was born, she was covered in goo. She was covered in goo and blood and she was screaming and she was so perfect and beautiful. And I held her to me and I was naked and also covered in goo and had previously been screaming. The whole thing was this wild mess. And I am a person who does not just like hang around naked places, but I have to tell you, I did not care. I didn't care. I didn't care who saw us. I didn't care who was with us. All I cared about in that moment was this little baby and my partner and our family and we were just all there and it was this pure moment of connection and being and life. But then reality came crashing down and I was like a few days later, did like nine people see me just sitting naked in a tub screaming for like two hours? <laughs> huh, that doesn't feel awesome. Because the world does come crashing in on us over and over again. How many of us have been made to feel shame about our nakedness? Now that may be literal, the ways that we have been told our bodies should be covered. That's another strain of the church's sin, I believe, is an overemphasis on modesty culture that says that bodies, especially female assigned bodies and the bodies of women, are shameful and need to be covered or are dangerous and need to be covered. But God didn't make you in clothes. God made you naked. And so the church and all of our uh, forces of shame have, have colluded to make us feel like we need to be covered. But it goes beyond our physical bodies. It goes to the heart of who we are, the authentic selves that God created us to be. We have been told are shameful. We have been told to cover up, to hide. And there are so many ways that that has played out to hurt us. This week, we were at Pride Fest, Pride-toberfest, and it was really an incredible experience to be back among public queer space, to see queer and trans folks fully celebrated across this massive festival grounds. And I couldn't help but reflect on this scripture how one of the ways that pride and pride parades are often shamed and denigrated is about how much nakedness there is. Why won't they just cover up about it, though? I'm sure we've all heard people say, I don't mind what they do at home, but can't they just keep that behind closed doors? That is that same dynamic. That is the snake in the garden. That is saying, hey, why don't you just cover yourself? Let me pass you some fig leaves. Now, I'm not saying that we should do all things in all spaces. Boundaries are cool. 
but it is a reflection of that shame in our culture that we pass along to one another. And this is the thing, shame is contagious. We put it on one another, it grows in ourselves and we pass it and pass it. But in the same way, that authenticity and that nakedness is also contagious. The, the pureness of the self. And I say this because I have spent the last 12 weeks with the least self-conscious person I've ever met in my life. Micah, my little baby, is not concerned at all what I think of her. She's like really into uh, what she's into, and she's really not into what she's not into. She uh, poops and farts and spits up on me all the time and never apologizes for it. She's naked a lot and seems to be way more into that than clothes. And the more I hang out with her, I'm like, I get it. Like, I get it. Clothes are really uncomfortable sometimes. And you know what? Why are we so weird about bodily functions? She came out and into this world totally unashamed, completely naked. She asks for what she needs, demands it really loudly. And she gets what she needs and then connects. She is there every day staring at the whole world. It's like she never blinks. But she's not distracted by her own shame. She's not too busy covering up her true self to take in all that is around her. She just shows up authentic and vulnerable, naked to the world at every level. No one has told her yet that she's naked. That will change, of course. She will grow up in this world, and people will tell her all the ways that she needs to find her fig leaves. But Jesus has taught us that her nakedness, that unashamedness of the garden, that is actually the only way to truly see the vision of what God is bringing into this world and what we are called to build together. That while we are so distracted by covering ourselves up, covering up our nakedness, hiding our shame, hiding from God, we can't see where God is taking us or what God is calling us to build. We have to strip ourselves of the layers that hide us. We have to toss away our fig leaves. And so I ask you to reflect. Who told you you were naked? What are the parts of your sacred being that have been shamed into covering up, that have been hurried into hiding, that have been told they are not good enough and need to be kept in the closet? Certainly those of us who are queer and or trans know that there are lots of pieces of ourselves that have been deemed unacceptable, especially in church. Many of us have had to fight really hard to take off those fig leaves, to be our fullest selves. But we all have shame that we need to discard. We all have been made perfect and then told we were not. We all have to come out of hiding we can do this slowly, 
and deliberately, but it may take us a long spiritual journey. I believe we will emerge truly ourselves, uncovered for the world to see in all the glory God gave us when we arrive together in that kingdom. But the work of arriving in that kingdom, we talk a lot about tearing down systems of evil. We talk a lot about ending those oppressive forces in this world that keep us from loving one another. But part of this work is that self-examination, that self-healing, the stripping away of the layers that we have put on, the oppression that we have voluntarily recreated in ourselves over and over again. We need to strip that away, y'all. We need to be born new, naked, covered in new life, whatever that means, screaming into the world unashamed, and ready to be loved. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, it is so hard to see ourselves the way that you see us. It is so hard to be with our naked form and just be loved. But God, we know that you have made us exactly as you intended to. May we strip away the layers that we have put on ourselves and one another. May we emerge beautiful in your image as you made us, naked and holy. God, help us to emerge unashamed into your kingdom of love. And may your love guide us all the way. Amen.